This is a Data Science Channel program from the Halijialu Data Science Institute. Visit us at ucsd.tv slash data-science to learn more about how data is shaping our future. Welcome to another edition of Science Like Me. I'm your host, Sara Naderi, and I have the pleasure of interviewing Tara Javidi today. Tara received her BS in Electrical Engineering at Sharif University of Technology in Tehran, Iran. She received her MS degrees in Electrical Engineering and Systems and in Applied Mathematics and Stochastic Analysis from the University of Michigan, where she ultimately received her PhD in Electrical Engineering and Computer Science in 2002. From 2002 to 2004, she was an assistant professor at the Electrical Engineering Department at University of Washington. In 2005, she joined the University of California, San Diego, where she is currently a Jacobs Family Scholar, Halogiolu Data Science Fellow, and Professor of Electrical and Computer Engineering. Tara is a prolific researcher and academic leader. In particular, she is a co-principal investigator at the Institute for Learning Enabled Optimization at Scale, also known as TELOS, one of the prestigious national AI institutes enabling longer-term research and U.S. leadership in AI. Tara's research interests are in theory of active uh, machine learning, information theory, and optimization in face of uncertainty. She is particularly interested in applications of ideas in these fields to engineer better, faster, and more ubiquitous wireless communication networks. Tara is currently the editor-in-chief of IEEE Journal in Selected Areas in Information Theory. She is also passionate about and very active in, in advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion at the institutions of higher education as well as in the engineering profession. Welcome, Tara. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, so tell me more about your research. What gets you excited about what you do? In general, um, what I'm really excited is that use of mathematical modeling and abstraction of ideas and then translating them into engineering uh, specific solutions. So that's sort of the general excitement, but it varies from year to year depending on where we are with technology and new ideas coming out. So these days I'm really excited about using ideas from AI uh, to actually optimize large-scale engineering uh, systems, in particular uh, wireless communication networks, as you mentioned, but also large-scale uh, systems for monitoring, say, robots that go around and do monitoring, looking for anomalies, um, environmental monitoring, and, and questions of this sort. So that's sort of the big picture. But Can you tell me more about like how you use AI in wireless uh, communications? Like what kind of what kind of data is your, are you looking at that needs that kind of processing? Yeah, so um, let's speak uh, about, let's say, the wireless communication uh, infrastructure we have on campus, right? So we have all these access points in, uh, that work for all of us to get connected. In classrooms, we are now using them. The students are connected. So you can sort of ask yourself, uh, what are these technologies, um, you know, um, how, how are they working? Historically, we developed these as small-scale solutions. So, for example, Wi-Fi technology, everybody has a Wi-Fi access point these days at their home. Um, this was a small-scale 
you know, engineering solution for four or five people at home to communicate. Now we have scaled it to be serving tens of thousands of students on campus. Let's say a class ends, they all leave the class. There's a hundred students in my class. They're all leaving at the same time. So there are new challenges that this technology was developed for far smaller scales. And now we are deploying it to serve large um, numbers. So the question becomes, can we actually use methods from AI to sort of recover peculiarities that we didn't think in the design space? Our models were insufficient to think about them. Or in case of Wi-Fi, the technology grew out of a smaller scale technology. So that's where broadly uh, we look at. The data that, uh, that, you know, the data is everywhere. But you nailed the question uh, the right way. For engineering solution, the data is not abundantly spread over the internet mm. the same way that first generation AI models really benefited from data that was available and publicly available text and image data, for example, on the internet. So in engineering, data is really the gold uh, question for us. And that's where this idea of active uh, AI or active information becomes an issue because now I have to really ask myself what data should I collect to be able to answer better questions. So for example, as part of Telos, we ask what data is critical to make sure that my Wi-Fi access points are optimized in ways that when the class ends and everybody's moving, the, the traffic is handed off correctly. Now this example is for access points in a you know, campus-wide, but you can imagine that you, this is what operators do with cellular uh, control of cellular towers that act like access points and, and all other type of satellite communications and whatnot. So that's where I'm really yeah. focusing on. So I'm trying to understand, uh, usually it's easier to process data that's already been labeled and uh, you have some idea of what it means, but I'm imagining with this, it might not necessarily be labeled data. You're just getting like a stream of signals and having to find patterns in that. Yes, but some of our signals are kind of labeled. So for example, when you collect power, uh, when you collect uh, outage events, they're kind of labeling that the network didn't work very well. My power consumption of this device was very high. It heated up. So some of the data itself acts like uh, signals that normally in a classic AI system would be called a label, mm. the cat or dog. In engineering solution, that's where the benefit is. Some of our labels are really embedded in the performance of our networks, and our systems are designed to sort of more or less keep track of these in order to do, uh, you know, all sorts of diagnostics uh, and so on. So we use that information quite a bit. Nice. What yeah. about, um, I realize that your, your background is also in stochastic, uh, analysis, which I would imagine maybe, which, which, uh, just so we share with the audience what that means, it's like when you can't predict something, right? Yeah. So, um, ha have you found it that, you know, when you're trying to optimize these systems, is it ever predictable or does it, is there some sort of like eventually there's some predictability about it or? That's a great question. 
Um, so classically, stochastic uh, optimization came out of this idea that we want to optimize systems or we want to control systems, but there are certain events that we know it's futile to really predict them precisely. Uh, and wireless is a prime example. Depending on any room and the layout of the furniture and the frequency of the signals, the, how this signal gets to you is not going to be predictable. If I want to predict it, it's it's very expensive. So classically, we would build mathematical models that would summarize this unpredictable behavior. So the behavior itself unpredictable, but I can summarize the statistical profile of how, be, how to think of it. Think about like any kind of game that you play, and you throw a dice, the, the outcome is unpredictable, but you know, okay, equal probability, any of these numbers will come out. So Classically, we did a lot of modeling in stochastic, uh, you know, we did a lot of modeling to enable stochastic optimizations so built on models that we would go out and make measurements and build these statistical models for physical reality. So as you can imagine, those models are not full bulletproof, right? So they are uh, made as much as the data is telling you. So this is another place where AI can really come to help us uh, really replace those models with more sophisticated uh, summaries of the data that that are uh, that is happening. So uh, so that's where sort of a really nice connection between AI enabled methods replacing those classic old uh, you know models that we have developed for simplicity to get our analysis to work. What if um, if you can wave a magic wand and like uh, you know get more data about this the environment in which these signals are, are traveling through, if you will? Um, what would that look like? For example, you had mentioned uh, you know the furniture in the room could actually affect a signal and how it's traveling. Um, if you had computer vision as part of another layer of data about the environment, or I don't even know sound. I don't. What would it? What if you could just be like, I can get all the information I want. What would that? What would that be to make it easier for you to make the predictions? To make better AI models yeah, that right. predict the mobility. Yeah. So um, we have something called data uh, data uh, processing inequality. The more data, the better. Technically, um, the more information we have about the environment, the model will be more precise. But now here is a bit of a trade-off. I can make a really predictable model that does a really good job with this one room, but I would like it to be somewhat transferable. So when I go in a different room, it doesn't completely get stuck in the previous room's configuration. So you have this trade-off between transferability and generalizability of your model and capturing some uh, some aspect, temporal aspects and uh, spatial aspects of this room that you would like to learn. And we, our models try to do both. There are some some coefficients that we keep them for longer, they would transfer the, the structure or the physics of the problem is then changing from this room to another. And then the layout of the furniture and the images and those things have to be translated into short-term uh, information as well as long-term information. If, so I would imagine, okay, I'm just starting to like use like fantasy kind of thinking here. Um, but like 
if you had like a quantum computer and you could just process any amount of information instantly, uh, if you were to just uh, be able to always know what the environment looks like and, I don't know, you know the weather, you know how many people are there, you know how they're moving around, you know all of that, would you be able to, would that be the most optimized way of, of being able to move around mobility? I don't know. I'm sorry. To, I don't know if I'm going no, way no, off No, 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 no. This is a very good <laughs> question. Uh, bottom line, if everything is predictable, I wouldn't need to actually even predict, right? Mm, okay. So so if I go so far, the interesting thing is people are moving in unpredictable ways. And so, yes, if I could learn everything that is predictable out and I would just be left with the inherent uncertainty in the system which is who will stay in this room and who will leave right like if that's just like think about it's like a simple binary decision for every person within the next minute that will boil down my model has to just capture those those binary variables and sort of make a bet over them and then as we all move the cameras, the, the, you know, and also I have to say the wireless signals are, can be acting like, because of what I said, it's the signature of the environment. It's also a way of creating images. That's how radar works, right? So it's in different oh, nice. frequency paths. So that's what it really is telling you after people have moved, you have de, uh, you know, disambiguated for a better word, or uh, you killed the uncertainty of what everyone's intention was they they have either moved or stayed right so in that sense so let's move towards uh, a little bit more about telos i know that telos uh there's specific practical applications in networks which is what you lead and right yeah okay and then uh robotics and um chips have and then 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 there's foundations which i've always described and correct me if i'm wrong those three ones are the practical use cases of trying to optimize. And then foundations is almost as if they extract what they've mathematically learned uh, and maybe can apply them in other arenas. Was that, would that be a true. right way of... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so when we uh, proposed the, the idea of TILOS as an AI Institute proposal, that was exactly what we thought. We thought um, the theme is um, doing optimization at a scale that fits the needs of new applications. Robotics, uh, communication networks, and chips all have two aspects in common. They're all very much attached to the physical reality that they operate on. So they're uh, you know, there's physics attached to it. Their data is not completely arbitrary. And the second thing, their scales have grown to be so much larger than our you know, traditional conventional optimization methods uh, could handle that there was sort of a gap between what, how these systems are optimized and what these optimization techniques were capable of handling. Mm -hmm. So we had to do a lot of heuristic, we had to do a lot of engineering, sort of a suboptimal decision-making to solve them. So the three use cases are very much, and in fact, I would argue these are three use cases that because of the sheer need, engineers have almost naturally gone ahead and come up with you know, heuristics or methods to optimize them that can also lead back to uh, maybe show the way in terms of what kind of um, 
underlying architecture the systems have that allow these optimization methods that engineers have called heuristic to work well for those applications. So there's sort of a three-way um, you know, going. First of all, using AI to do optimization in places that it has not been able to succeed. And then use cases feeding back and say, we need more, <laughs> we need more. So it's sort of, uh, and, and this is what engineers are doing, or this is humans when, for example, in networks, we talked about Wi-Fi access points. There are a lot of engineering intuition that goes behind the IT team that goes and deploy these things. And so we can really learn from, uh, you know, that intelligence as well. So, yeah. Are there times when you've learned the methods in which somebody tries to uh, deploy AI optimization and chips or robotics and applied that to networks? Is there, is that, does that scenario happen or? Yeah, that, that definitely. So for example, I have collaborated with my colleague, Fainos Kushanfar, who was really interested in um, how we actually um, basically map uh, really expensive AI solutions uh, onto the hardware. So we call it machine learning, but we often kind of don't care that it's done on a machine. In reality, uh, compute has to be mapped to different segments of your machine in terms of memory use, uh, compute use, GPU use, uh, and so on. So she was really interested in optimizing the performance of the hardware for this kind of AI task that they oh, wow. were doing. And so we use an optimization technique that I immediately thought, oh, wow, if we can really map out compute in this way to different components, could sort of take that same idea. And now you think of a large scale network with wireless devices. There is sort of a similarities in when they are computing, they're thinking about a computational graph being mapped out to resources that are physically there and on, on a, a device. Um, and the same thing applies here. I have compute different access points with different compute power, with different, um, you know, even energy uh, budget and so on and so forth. And how can I lay out my my infrastructure or my access point associations with the mobile devices to do this job better? So that was sort of more or less immediate. And that's yeah. what that's what we are doing. Yeah. Um, I realized I was, you know, usually I ask um like where your research applies to the real world in terms of like how it's practical. But I feel like with yours, it seems pretty straightforward. You're, you're, you're basically making better wireless networks so that people can use their cell phones or Wi-Fi wherever they are in a, in, without having any kind of dips in, in connectivity mm. and things like that. Yeah. So. In general, I have been always very much interested in the application of you know, I've been kind of uh, really amazed at our, at our human ability to think about abstract ideas that are general and then systematically walk through that reasoning and then translate it into a system that does any, uh, that does the job that we want it to do. So while in Telos, I'm really focused on wireless communication, that's not the only use case that I'm really interested. For example, I'm really interested in this, the, the use of uh, orchestration of resources um, in terms of collecting information that can arise in robotics application um, 
a few years back, I decided a very good example, and this is equally, um, you know, sort of easy to explain to students, especially undergraduate students, is, um, you know, use of information in navigation and uh, monitoring. So let's say um, you, you have cameras in your home. Um, let's say I get the next generation, they'd be on drones or they'd be on ground robots. And now I, I travel a lot and I get false alarms a lot uh, from, you know, from the security system. Now, if imagine that if I use cleverly what each camera is seeing and now I have the ability to move them, uh, it gives me a lot more uh, fine resolution information about what is going on inside the house. My house is like two floors, stairs, and as usual, it's not structured in a way that with one camera you can see everything. But now if I have movable cameras, a similar question comes in, which information I should collect that from where, depending on maybe there was a noise, maybe a noise sensor uh, started the alarm, like maybe I should try to find that source. So that has been like in my uh, lab, there are undergraduate students who code simple to use robots to respond to things like this. I lost my keys. Can I actually sort of think about the last time I saw them and then have the the small drone kind of fly around and awesome. make a noise when it finds it? Now with the with the find uh, like these uh, like air, tags or air tags or something, that's, that project is a bit of an overkill, but still is an interesting question that the students find very interesting use cases for so yeah i think that's really cool i think um i think sometimes uh people that are using these uh, systems whether they're cell phones or looking at their security cameras at home um take it for granted the research that goes behind to make them happen in such an easy way for consumers right um and i i love like you know I don't know, thank you for doing that kind of work so that we can have these kinds of um, luxuries in our life uh, yeah, to be able to I mean, do it. It's also very fun. <laughs> yeah, cool. I invite everybody to think about whatever is around them, how would they structure it differently. That's already kind of thinking about engineering and then think about it, can I think about it in a very general abstract way so that I can carry it from wireless communication to robotics information yeah. right so that's really fun so we're going to rewind and understand what what who little tara was <laughs> um so i like to think about like you know uh, first like when you were in middle and high school um w- did you always know you wanted to become an engineer or did, was there like a experience that you had as a kid that made you feel like oh this is really cool i definitely was a geek with all the the standard definitions i remember um, I was very entertained by a toy that I have built that I forced all my cousins to play with. I don't know if they liked it, which was this wire that was shaped very strangely and you had to pass the loop, you know? Have you seen it? It's like parks or oh, something. Okay. And if it touched, it would, you know, turn the light on and they oh, would cool. lose awesome. and they had to do the same thing. Yeah, it's a very simple 
electric <laughs> circuits yeah. uh, that closes when this the loop and the wire hit. So I remember I, I was very much more amused playing this to with this toy than any other toy. And I think much more than my cousins and my brother were. But, you know, so I always liked the idea of like, getting a scientific principle to turn it into something that you can kind of relate to. I was also interested in coding. You code up like simple games and things like that, even though I got very much sort of, um, uh, I wouldn't say distracted, but I got really interested in, in math. So for a while I was thinking maybe I should do math. Uh, yeah, so so I don't know if there was a very ever clear uh you know decision when i was that young i thought i'd be a doctor like i did yeah, yeah. the the full spiel of thinking about everything and you know changed my mind quite a lot <laughs> i love that you create you so you made this game this little yeah yeah it's what, like what, it's really simple I, but what made you want to make this game like did there you was see a it tv show there uh -huh. was a tv show that the this was a part of their uh, the, it was a game show, and this was one of the like if the 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 the, the kids could pass through, then they would go to the next level. That's yeah, cool. So, yeah, that was why I was like, oh, I can do this. I know how it works, and yeah. that was what I did. Yeah, nice. I think I I find a lot of people um, when they find like they have an experience that they have to tinker and build something to kind of. Um, give them insight into what that field would be like. So it sounds like in that way, this this would have been one of those kinds of experiences. For yeah, you. for me, it was the opposite. And I think that's where you would see even in my research that I saw this thing. And then I was like, oh, I know these basic principles of how electricity flows. And I bet I could do the same thing. It was the sort of going from the first principle that you learn in your, I don't know, uh, elementary school about the flow of electricity, which at that time was this view of like, you know, I was thinking of it as a liquid that flows. I, I don't, I didn't know enough physics to know all the electrons business or whatever, but take that idea and just turn it into something, you know, kind of, demystify yeah. something that was more more uh like that some people are i, I think the more imper uh, the empirical uh empirically driven colleagues the experimentalists i have seen that they're the opposite they have a lot of intuition about how to build something and then they kind of try to reverse engineering the new principles that, that maybe we might have overlooked or didn't think about yeah so i know we're wrapping up on time so i do want to uh talk about like what are you excited about like what is the you know the future of your research uh what what are you looking forward to Oh, this is a hard question because I'm excited about a lot of things. I, I joke that it's really fun to be us at this uh, juncture of time. Um, I think for academic research, especially for engineers, um, it's sort of a, a rare opportunity when ideas and practice come become so close in terms of the, the life cycle of ideas to uh, real solutions and deployment. So definitely, if you're doing any kind of AI, you're at that juncture. If um, I started thinking about this question of collecting information to do um, intelligence or, or sort of active uh, ML and active AI around 10 years ago, and it was really just an abstract question. It started with 
Uh, my student and I went to a talk about how our eyes move to gather information, to facilitate information gathering. So we were like, oh, we should really understand this problem. And it's very different from at that time um, what people were working on. So we're kind of like looking at what comes next. And sure enough, now we are there where uh, it is possible to look at this and it's really impacting the way we engineer a system. So I'm really quite excited on on all directions on the application side of like how we will build better and faster and more optimized engineering systems using these techniques, but also going back and develop, um, you know, ideas as what are the underlying hidden facts that data uh, can be uh, you know, used to recover and uh, discover. So I'm really also interested in that question of sort of cracking uh, what are these fundamental simplifying uh, structures that allow us to do things better than what we thought is doable. So, so I'm really quite excited about that. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I really course. appreciate all that you shared. Thank you for and having me. Thank you for joining us for another Science Like Me episode.